Good morning, Calvary. How are you doing today? So I have the privilege to share God's word today with the entire church, all the three services, so bear with me. What about if we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we thank you for who you are, because you are majestic, you are powerful, you are what we are not. And we thank you for your presence in our midst. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit in this place. So as we open up the scriptures this morning, we pray that you talk to our needs, Lord. You know the deepest sides of our hearts, our minds. So we pray that as we open the revelation of your word, the majestic, powerful name of Jesus will be proclaimed and you will be ministering to our hearts today. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We are shaped by our heritage. We are shaped by our traditions, family, culture. We are shaped by training, experiences, hardships, failures, victories, and so on and so forth. However, we are mostly shaped by God. Today we are starting a new sermon series entitled A New, A Life Shaped by God, Stories of David. We will examine David's life and we will draw some principles uh, from his life to our lives. So we're gonna be embarking ourselves in about 10 weeks this summer as we study David's life. You know, God called David the man after his own heart. Why did he call him like that? And how is it that today we can draw some principles from his life? Well, when we talk about David, David is a central figure in the Bible. There is only one David in the Bible. He's a unique and a singular figure in the scriptures. When I say David, you know which David I'm talking about. I'm talking about the great King David in the Bible. You know, it's like, it's kind of like Michael Jordan. It's kind of like Tiger Woods or LeBron James or I don't know, your name. You put it in there. There is only one David, the great king of Israel. Generation after generation, this king has been remembered. And his name means beloved, beloved, loved by God. That's David's name. I have a David at home and he's beloved. The name David would mark his identity and his calling. And everything starts when he's chosen by God, when he's called by God. And today, as we open up the scriptures, we find ourselves in the first book of Samuel, chapter 16. And we're going to be reading some passages in there, some verses in there. So open the scriptures. It's going to be there on the screen for you. This is what the word of God says. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as a king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be the king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will, what does it say? Kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. 
And the Bible says, in there, invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons, and he invited them to the sacrifice. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. So today we're going to talk about being chosen by God. We're going to talk about God's calling and what is it that God is calling you to do. Okay? So the first thing, I have like four points. Very Steve asked me, how many points do you have? I say four. Okay, so let's, let's move on it. Um, God's choices are sovereign. You know, God's call in your life is a solution to a problem. God's choices are sovereign. So God's call in your life is a solution to a problem. I, I do believe in God's providence, in God's sovereignty. There's a lot of people that believe in the sovereignty of Satan, in the sovereignty of circumstances. I do believe that God is sovereign, that God is over everything, that God controls the universe, that God orchestrates things, that God is in control of your life. When your life you think is a mess, God is even controlling your life. God is in the business of being uh, ruling over all the creation. How many believe that? I do believe that. So we see here in God's calling, we see the sovereign providence. You know, David was chosen by God because there was a problem in Israel. And the problem was the king. God saw the problem, so he brings a solution. You know, think about your life. It is, it is through the failures and problems of others that God raises you. You know, it, it, is, it is that in your life. Think about your life. In, perhaps you, you never planned to be a single parent or uh, to get a divorce or, or you know, to get fired at your job or uh, to transfer here to the valley or, or many things that happened in your childhood. So perhaps you didn't plan that, but somehow God permitted that to happen. God allowed that to happen in your life because he has been working in your life. So God's calling, it's a solution to a problem. I want you to see a one-minute summary of the book of Samuel. Here it goes. The books of 1st and 2nd Samuel. They're two separate books in our modern Bibles, but that division is due simply to scroll length. It was originally written as one coherent story. We're just going to cover the book of 1st Samuel in this video. So after Israel was rescued from slavery in Egypt, they made a covenant with God at Mount Sinai and eventually came into the promised land. And there Israel was supposed to be faithful to God and obey the covenant commands. Before the book of Samuel, judges showed how Israel failed at that task big time. It was a period of moral chaos and it showed Israel's need for wise, faithful leaders. The book of Samuel provides an answer to that need. The book of Samuel's story focuses on three main characters. The prophet Samuel, where the book gets its name, and then King Saul, and after that, King David. And all three of them transitioned Israel from a group of tribes ruled by judges into a unified kingdom ruled by King David in Jerusalem. 
see here a little bit of the context in which we embark ourselves today. You know, the people of Israel, they wanted a king. They, they were uh, slaves in Egypt, and, and the Lord rescued them from the hands of Pharaoh in, in a very uh, miraculous way. Uh, they come to, to the wilderness, and the Lord finally gives them the promised land. But they want a human being. They want a king. They ask for a king. God provides king Saul. But then Saul gets disqualified because he doesn't follow the Lord. And now what the Lord is doing is that he is in the business of replacing Saul. And that's when King David comes into the picture. Sovereign providence. God was chosen by God. You and I are chosen by God. How many believe that? Oh, no, no. You're not enthusiastic today. You didn't have breakfast. Come on, let's try one, one more time. How many of you are chosen by the Lord? Uh, that's better. That's better. Okay, we're on the same page. Sovereign providence. You know, God orchestrates things. We, we see the sovereignty planning of God. Samuel is told where to go to find a new king. He goes to Bethlehem. His chosen king into the world is precisely at the right moment in history. If you look at, at the David's ancestry, his story, you look how God has been orchestrating things in the life of David. One of David's ancestors was a woman named Rahab. Remember Rahab in the Bible? Kind of pagan. Uh, devoted to uh, idolatry, and the Lord rescues Rahab, and she comes, becomes part of the people of Israel. She has been saved of uh, pagan idolatry and brought into the nation of Israel. She married a man called Salmon and became the mother of, of, an, of a man named Boaz. And Boaz married a Gentile girl named Ruth. And Ruth and Boaz were the great-grandparents of a boy named David. You see, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, even in the Old Testament, God's redemption, God's grace, God's sovereignty, even in the midst of situations, God is orchestrating good things on, on his favor. Amen? That happens in your life. You think, you think that you plan things and the Lord plans something else for you? That's, has it happened to you? You know, you plan one thing about your life, and then the Lord surprises you with something differently. I'm, I'm about planning. I'm one of those that like to plan things ahead of time. You know, when I get invitations, uh, I say, well, I, I have all my summer booked out already with things because I like to plan things. But the Lord surprises you with things because that's what the Lord does. Sovereign power. Notice the words, I have. Many people have great plans and dreams. They lack on the power of bringing them to pass, not the Lord. What the Lord proposes, he is well able to dispose. What the Lord calls you to do, he is well able to pass it to completion. You know, it was in the Battle of Waterpool, or Waterloo that uh, Napoleon lost both the battle and his empire. Years later, in exile on an island, Napoleon reported to have quoted the following words. Man proposes, God disposes. Man proposes, and God disposes. Isn't it true of your life? Sometimes you propose one thing, but God disposes something different or the thing that you have in mind. So first, there are no accidents in life. There are no accidents in your life. Anything that happened to you in the past, somehow, when you come to Jesus, he's going to change it, he's going to transform it for his glory. 
There are no accidents in life. You think you were a mess? Well, God is going to fix your mess. You think your past was horrible? Let me tell you, you have hopeful future in Jesus Christ. When they come to me and they say, Pastor, you don't know my past, I say, I don't care about your past. I care about your present state in your condition before the Lord because the Bible tells us that we are forgiven. Our past sins are already in the cross of Calvary, and the Lord is giving us victory. He's giving us salvation. So there are no accidents in life. Second, God is well able to bring his plan to pass. He will never propose a plan that he's not able to accomplish. He will not. If God calls you to something, he's well able to accomplish it. I remember in Colombia, I, I grew up listening to some of the English songs. I didn't know English back then. And, and I remember this song that says, God is able. God is able. God is able to do whatever he said he would do. And I was like, I love that song. Because my God, I don't know about your God. I don't know what God you've pursued. But my God is well able to do whatever he said he would do. Uh, some people is excited here. Okay. Third, God's sovereignty. You know, God's sovereign choices extend to every area of life. You know, we do not presume to understand it all, but I believe that the Bible teaches us clearly that God is in the business of working out all things according to his perfect will. That's what he says in the scripture. So, what makes you righteously angry? What is it that bothers you? When you go to sleep, it's like, I, I just feel this. Perhaps your calling is connected to that. What are you passionate about? It's like you go to sleep, you get up, you feel like you're passionate about doing that. I'm passionate about sharing the gospel, preaching, and, and training people. That's what I, I dream about that. I do that. I travel doing that. I, I do sermons. I do a podcast every day. I write because I'm passionate about that. I'm passionate about sharing the gospel. I cannot be confined just in an office. I do good planning. I'm one of those that plan, I tell you already. But I, I'm passionate about what is God calling you to do because your calling is connected to your passion. Second, God's choices are surprising. You know, in a sense, God's call in your life is a surprise to you and to others. Let's look at the scriptures. God's choices are surprising, and God's call in your life is a surprise to you and to others. Look at verses 7 to 10. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance of his height, for I have, what? Rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then called Shamas. Passed by. He, he passes by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen this. So the context here is that Samuel is said to go to Bethlehem to anoint the new king, and he goes to Jesse's home, and Jesse presents the best of the best. And that's, I have some sub points in here. His choice, God's choices are surprising 
in his rejections. You know, the first one that comes is Eliab. And Eliab, his name means God is the father. So I imagine Eliab coming and Jesse being proud of his sons and, and lining, uh, lining them up and, and Eliab comes and his name is God is the father. And, and, you know, Samuel goes like, oh, it's maybe him. He looked presidential. He looked like built up. He looked like those guys when I go at 5.30 in the gym, you know, they're, they're looking at the muscles. And I'm there in the cardio machine. And I'm, I'm just venturing. I'm saying, one day I want to be like them, but I don't have three hours every day. But anyways, <laughs> you know, he looked presidential. You know, and, and Samuel goes like, oh, it's maybe him. And the Lord tells him, no, it is not him. I have refused him. And in the Greek, it says the, the, the word refuse means reject. And rejected means it's not that person. Iliad might look presidential. Iliad might look hourly appearing to, to anybody, but not to God. Because God looks at the heart. So then comes Abinadab. His net, and his name means my father is noble. Another one. Wow. My name doesn't mean that. I don't know your name, but my God, you know, my father is noble. So here goes another one. You know, this is the second one, the best, top-notch guy. He comes and he introduces him to Samuel, and Samuel goes like, wow, he looks good too. But then the Lord says, no. You know, his name means astonishment. Astonishment. My name doesn't mean that. I don't know about yours. Maybe send me an email, Rolando at CalvaryMacallin.org, maybe. But, but no. You know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But his name means astonishment. He, he was that guy that, you know, the ladies will be like, oh, he's so cute. And the men will be like, oh, I wish I would be like him. You know, but no. Not for the Lord. You know, God sees what men cannot see. God sees inside, deep inside your heart. That's what God sees. We are the very same way. We see a young man. He's handsome, well-spoken, and intelligent. And, and we say, that man, wow, that, you know, my, my, my little girl should marry that boy. You know, ladies, don't look just at the physical appearance. You might be deceived later. It is important, you know, but it's not all. It is not all. Sometimes we see, well, this man is eloquent. He's, he's the one that I'm going to hire. Well, uh, look at the character. God looks at the heart. You know, it's different with the Lord. It's different. You, sometimes in the church we see, well, this guy could be a good deacon because he is like this. Well, I don't know. We don't know his heart. God only knows his heart. You know, his choice is surprising in its requirements. You know, God tells Samuel that he doesn't look at the physical attributes of a man. God looks at the character of a man's heart. Before Saul ever ceased being a king, God had already determined to raise up a man with the right kind of heart. And that was King David. You know, this is a lesson that we need to learn today as a church. As God looks at your life, what does he see? As God looks at your heart, what does he see in your heart? What is it that God is seeing in your heart? We don't know, but God knows it. He knows it. You know, his choice is surprising in its receptions. 
After seven sons of Jesse have passed before Samuel, and all have been rejected. Can you imagine? All the songs. No, this is not. This is not. This is not. And then in the, in the later chapter in Samuel, chapter 17, we see that they were chosen for something else. You know, they were in war. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, later in the, in the account, in the story, we see that they were part of Saul's army. And we see that they were disqualified when <laughs> they, they didn't want to fight Goliath. In fact, they laughed at David as well, later in the chapters, in the story. That's why they didn't have the character. They have the appearance, but they didn't have the character. So, in fact, he's mentioned by his father, and, and, and his father is saying, well, I, I have another one. I have another son. He is the youngest. And he's out there carrying and tending the sheep. Do you want me to call him? Can you believe that? A daddy said, do you want me to call him? And then Samuel, Samuel is here, the prophet of God. He's here, and he's saying, yes, call him. Because we will not do anything without his presence. It's like, let me put it in the context. It's like when you have a family reunion for Thanksgiving dinner, and there is always one that is running late, and grandpa and grandma say, we're not having dinner until your uncle appears. And everybody's like, oh, please, why? Oh, they always get here late. And then the kids are all riding around and all these things. And you're like, no, it's the same scenario here. We are not doing anything. So finally they call David. David is tending the sheep, which means he's all dirty. He smells like sheep. Have you, have you been around animals just for half a day? You smell really good, really good. It's like you have a little pet at the house and you don't take him a bath by experience. You, you carry that pet and in the morning I did that and I was like, okay, Hamis needs to take a bath. You know, like wash. Yeah, I got a wipey and kind of did one of those baths right away. But you know, David has to clean himself. So, so he comes, there is this, this sacramental it's a ceremony. So he needs to clean himself and he goes right away and he does that and everybody's waiting for him finally David shows up and when David shows up the Lord says this is the one and Samuel goes gets his oil and he anoints David and all the brothers are like this what he was the little David I thought it was gonna be you I thought it was going to be you. I don't think he's going to make it. Everybody was doubtful. All the statistical research that the, the brothers had was like failure, failure, failure. I am the king. And the Lord says, no, I see the heart. I'm choosing him to bring glory to me, to be a testimony for this nation to be greater, to conquer many battles, to be the great king of, of Israel. You don't see it right now because God doesn't see you as you are. He sees the final product. He sees what he is doing in your life he sees you the complete product he sees your heart I got excited Oof. there is an unexpected look there is an unexpected look there is an unexpected way you know it's like hmm it's not him there's an unexpected way call him out there is an unexpected time it is not the time and there is an unexpected hero the hero of the story is God 
The hero of the story is not, is not Jesse, is not the brothers, it is God. It is, it is David on the field, on the, on the battleground, tending for the sheep, you know, being faithful to the audience of one, of God. He is being faithful there. And God calls him out of the, of the pit to be anointed, to be going to a palace again, because that's God's providence. Do not give up on doing God's word. Third, God's choices are specific. God's call is always to serve others. You know, the first call is the, for, uh, is the call of salvation. If you haven't received Christ, you know, you heard me preach before. I always make an invitation at the end. You can criticize me, but I'm one of those preachers. I always make an invitation. You don't know who comes here. You know, but... But the first call is to become part of God's family. But the second call, once you become part of God's family, is to serve. Is to serve. So God's choices are specific. God's call is always to serve others. You see that in the subsequent verses. It seems crystal clear that God had specific plan in mind. He sent Samuel to a specific town, to a specific family in that town, to a specific person he had chosen to be the next king of Israel. Very briefly, there are some indications as to why God made the choice he did in the life of David. God chooses, first one, God chooses those who are ready. You know, verses, verse 5 says, sanctified, I have called him out. In other words, their sins are dealt with and they are made ready to worship and David is brought and there is no time for him to be sanctified. <laughs> There's no time. But he's ready because he had already communion with the Lord on the fields. You know, God chooses those who are reliable. Maybe not the most talented guy or women, girl, but God chooses sometimes the ones that are more reliable. Somehow, God's mathematics work differently. You know, the first one should be the last one. The leaders should be the servant. And here you see it. God chooses those who are reliable. God calls David and he finds him faithfully doing what he has been told to do. He's keeping the sheep. Uh, you know, and you know what David does? He's anointed as a king. He finishes the consecration ritual that he was part of, and then he goes back to tend to the sheep. He doesn't stay with the brothers and say, now I'm going to be the king. Woohoo! You guys are going to pay for this. You and I would say that, right? You're going to be my servants. You're going to be cleaning my shoes. You know, polishing everything. No. What does he do? No, he goes back to his assignment. He's faithful to the audience of one, and that one is God. Be faithful where you are. Be faithful doing what the Lord called you to do, because surprisingly, the Lord will place you from here to here to here to here. And everybody will be like, ooh, that was an expected, an unexpected way. Ooh, that was an, expected, an unexpected look. Ooh, an unexpected time. You're like, well, I don't know. I didn't plan this. God planned it for you, because if I plan my life, it's good, but it's not that good. <laughs> if, if I let God plan my life, it's going to be awesome, because it's going to bring glory to him. Amen? Okay, you're awake. God chooses those who are redeemed. 
God chooses those who are redeemed. Verse 13 says, when Samuel anoint David and perhaps whisper God's plan in his ear, that was not David's first encounter with the Lord. He was already in God's presence. It is in the journey that God heals you. It is in the reality therapy that God manifests himself, which means you don't live in a distorted reality. You face reality as it is. And God is ministering to you right there and then. And God is telling you, yes, you look like a mess, but I'm working in you, Rolando. You look like, mm, I am not a final product, but I'm doing something in, in you. Just hang in my presence. Just read the scriptures. Just do the spiritual disciplines. Just keep yourself connected to a community. Just hang in there. Just battle spiritually. Just do the right thing. And so how I'm going to work things on your favor. I'm going to transform things on your favor. That's what the Lord does. He's an expert on that. That's the God that we believe. That's the God we come and seek every single, every single Wednesday, every single Sunday, every single opportunity that we have to get connected to a small community. We believe in a God that is doing amazing things, in a God that in spite of what the world thinks, in spite of what your thoughts, you know, give you in your, in your mind, instead, instead of what you're thinking that you need to do, God is doing something in you for his glory fourth God choices God's choices are transcendent that's a loaded word God's choices are transcendent everything that the believer does is transcendent which means we don't only touch the chronos time our time we're touching kairos time eternity it's transcendent so god's call is a stewardship of a lifetime god's calling on your life is a, if a stewardship of a lifetime many years after at chapter 13 36 says now when david had served god's purpose in his own generation he fell asleep he was buried and with his ancestors, and his body decayed. So David was called by God. He fulfilled the purpose of his generation, and then his body decayed. That's awesome. Put your name in there. I don't know what your name is. Put it in there. God called you, and you serve the purpose of your generation, and then you fall asleep. Until one day the Lord will resurrect you to go with him for eternity. You know, I like this phrase that you have heard many times. And I wrote one of my podcasts, uh, Minuto con Dios, which is a minute with God every day on this. It says, God uses whom he chooses. Period. God uses whom he chooses. Period. So the application is, I need to land this plane right now. And look at the clock. How do I discern God's call in my life? That's your question, right? Let me use the word shape to give you a hint. We're going to be shaped by God. Spiritual gifts. What are some of the spiritual gifts that you have? You know, the, the day that you accepted the Lord Jesus, God placed in your heart and in your life as spiritual gifts, at least one. You look at those gifts in the first book of Corinthians, chapter 12, the book of Romans, chapter 12 as well, 
Peter, what about your heart? What are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? What doesn't let you sleep? It's like you think about that. It's like, I want to do that. But just do it. Just do it. Pastor, I want to do it. I dream with this. Well, I don't know if that's God's dream, but just pursue it. Ask God for guidance. Have you asked God for guidance? What is it in your heart? Abilities. What unique abilities do I possess? There are some people that they're good with the hands. They're uh, good with strategy, analytical thinking. There are some, good that are good, some people that are good with words, uh, vision casting. There are some people that are very conservative. You know, some people good in front of people. Some people, I don't know what your abilities are, but I know that God created you like that. And I know it sounds like a cliche saying God has uniquely created you. But yes, face it. God created you just like that. There's no one like you. No one like me, thankfully. My wife is there. There's no one like me. All creation, God doesn't lack of creativity. He created you for a purpose, for a specific plan in eternity to bring him glory. Amen? There is no one like you, and God is going to use you just the way you are. I don't preach like my dad. I don't preach like other preachers. I preach like I preach. That's how the Lord gave me. I have mentors. I have people. I learned. I went to school. I got my daughter. All those things. I got it. You have to be trained. But no, I, I am who I am. I'm not going to get rid of my accent because that's part of my heritage. Colombian. It's okay. I was born in Colombia. God is using me like that. Is there something wrong with that? No. I've been a missionary to a community, Mexican, Mexican community. I speak like them. I eat like them. You know, hey, that's, that's good. Why? Because God is using you the way that you are. Amen. What about your personality? How God has wired you. You are like that. There is people that have such a difficult time accepting themselves. Their personality? I wish I had my uncle's personality. No, face it. The Lord gave you that one for a purpose. Period. Use it for his glory. Experience. What experiences you had? You probably had abuses, hardships, situations that formed you and shaped you. I have some hard, difficult times growing up. Difficult times. But those things shaped me. Helped me. That's part of who I am. Everything is somehow a tapestry of God's glory to shine his glory. Somehow, God is shaping you to bring glory to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for the revelation of your word today. We thank you, Lord, because you are a God who is in heaven, who sent his son Jesus, to bring us salvation, a way to go back to you. And we thank you for that majestic, powerful plan. Lord, you have called us to something bigger than ourselves, something that is bigger than this life, eternal life. And in that calling you have orchestrated in us, you have given us the Holy Spirit. You have given us the revelation of your word. You have given us everything that we need to continue 
in life. Lord, we come before you just as we are. David was out on the fields. And yet, Lord, when the world and even the prophet Samuel thought about Eliab, Aninatab, Shammah, all these wonderful guys, you thought about David. And in the same way, there is an unexpected way, there is an unexpected look, an unexpected time. And today you intervene in our time. And you know our needs. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to serve you because your calling is to serve you just as we are. Amen. So today we have a wonderful opportunity to come to the Lord. We're going to partake of the Lord's table, which means that you have accepted the Lord Jesus and you are part of the family of Christ. And we remember the Lord's sacrifice until he comes back. So if you have accepted the Lord Jesus, you can participate. And as we sing this song, you're just going to pray. And you let God cleanse your heart. You do business with the Lord. You let the Holy Spirit reveal to your heart and your mind. And you're going to wait until we are all ready so we can partake of the Lord's Supper together. The deacons and ushers are going to distribute the elements. You pray to the Lord.